Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and yo, life is great. I'm speaking from a position of privilege because I am in a great environment. Uh, my daughter is good, even though last week we shut down the daycare. Well, not we did, they did. They decided to shut down the daycare because of COVID because oh, I live in Texas, which is a whole nother podcast for another time. But look, life is still good. <laughs> the daycare is open back up. You know what I'm saying? Um, Emery's enjoying it. She's adjusting pretty well, but it's a journey for everybody. I will say dropping Emery off at daycare is the worst part of my day. And I do it every single weekday. It is the worst. She's so sad and I'm sad, right? I'm really, I'd be sad, but I can't cry. What do I look like crying? If I cried at the daycare while Emery's crying, that would be not okay, right? So, but anyway, again, life is good. Y'all should be noticing, we put an announcement out, and I think you'll see it in the newsletter. Living Corporate continues to expand its portfolio with LinkedIn Learning. So excited for y'all to check that out. Make sure you look at the link in the show notes and click it. Don't just look at it, but like actually see it and then click it, right? Uh, We're taking some of our most popular, powerful podcasts, which is frankly so many, but we're slowly integrating them with LinkedIn Learning. And so over time, my vision is that we have a few dozen courses on LinkedIn learning for you to uh, take and get some type of learning credit for so that you can uh, really continue to grow. Share it with your colleagues who swear that they're trying to learn and why they want to be a part of the conversation. You don't have to have the conversation. Just flip them the link from LinkedIn learning. Right. This is not even an ad, but it kind of is an ad because we have a partnership with them. And I really want you all to go check out LinkedIn learning. All right. That's another good way. Right. If you don't want to, like, support living corporate by. Uh, dropping some money in our uh, on the website or giving, you know, dropping some money on the cash app, on the PayPal. You can uh, just watch LinkedIn Learning, right? Because we get, you know, we get percents off that. So anyway, uh, life is good for other reasons. Life is also good because we have new news. But I'm not going to drop the news right now, but just know I'm excited about the news that's coming. All right, really dope stuff. Shout out to Blind. Um, had a really good conversation with Kim Kim, the founder of Blind. Just talking about really just what this next season looks like in platforms really supporting the employee, right? Not like certain platforms that really just gather your information and then report back to the companies and sell your data uh, or position themselves really as, um, I don't know, some type of exploiter of people. That's what some of these platforms do that talk about community, but they're not really focused on community. They're, pro- they're focused on exploitation. It's really gross. And they also ask a lot of them, a lot of these like tech techie platforms, ask black and brown folks to do labor for free. Yo, we're not doing labor for free no more. All right, it's 2021. Slavery ended. Well, I know we have the prison industrial complex, but I'm saying chattel slavery ended several centuries ago. I think we can like, and I even, has it been several centuries? It was like two and a a little over, was it 200 and something? No, 150 years? I don't know. Look, point is we're not in chattel slavery no more, right? Um, All of that being said, yo, I'm really excited about today's podcast. We have a really dope guest, Omar Harris. Omar Harris is the author of Be a Jedi. Now, look, I'm not really going to get into the book right now because we talk all about it in our discussion. But I'm thankful for Omar. Omar has been um, a friend of the show for some years now. We've been meaning to like connect and like chop it up, period, before he even published this book. So I'm just glad that we were able to make the time and make the connection to talk now. 
because the content of his book and really like the substance of our conversation is great, right? So shout out to Omar. Uh, before we get into Omar though, and our conversation that we had, I want I want y'all to make sure that y'all tap in with Tristan. So we'll be right back. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. Today, I want to discuss three ways you can hold yourself down for your job search. When we decide we are about to search for a new job, there are so many things we need to do to prepare and keep ourselves organized. You have to update your resume, cover letter, and LinkedIn. You have to keep track of the jobs you applied to. You have to warm up your network to try and land the referral. You have to prepare your answers to interview questions and so much more. So I wanted to provide a few tips that will help you hold yourself down throughout that process. Have you ever sat down to update your resume and LinkedIn, but it's hard for you to remember what you did? This is why preparation starts well before you're ready to get back into the market. I suggest you combat that issue by creating and consistently updating a career journal or brag book. There, you write down your involvement in any projects or initiatives, any results you've generated, awards you've received, or value you've created. Documenting this information makes updating resumes and LinkedIn's much easier. It can also help you develop responses to interview questions. One of the keys to any great job search is building and leveraging your network. We know that utilizing your network can make you 15 times more likely to land interviews, but it's important that you begin strategically networking before you need it. When you network simply looking for a job, there is an air of desperation and people are less likely to help. They may also feel like you're only interested in what you can get out of them and no one likes to feel used. I suggest hosting some informational interviews to gain clarity on the type of positions and companies you want to work for. But remember, the benefits of networking happen in the follow-up. You should be checking in with your contacts regularly. That way, when the time comes to ask for a referral, it doesn't feel like it's coming out of the blue. Now, how many times have you gotten a call from a recruiter and you didn't fully remember applying to the job, let alone what skills or areas of expertise would be beneficial to highlight? That's why I suggest you organize your search with a spreadsheet. Have a column for the job title, company, date you applied, recruiter's name and contact info, hiring manager's name and contact info, interview dates and times, interview notes to remind yourself of what was discussed and what you need to reference in upcoming interviews, follow-up date, and the outcome, like were you hired or not hired. I even suggest you copy and paste the job description so you have something to refer to if the company takes down the job posting. If you network throughout the process, create another tab to track contact name, information, company, LinkedIn profile, relationship details, connection dates and notes, thank you sent, follow-up date, and the outcome, like did they help you get an interview. Hopefully these tips can help you hold yourself down and ensure you have an efficient and effective job search. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Omar, my goodness, man, we've we've been going around. Welcome to the show. 
Thank it's you very much. Nice to see you. Pleasure to meet you in person. Uh, you know, we got introduced by a mutual acquaintance last year, and uh, I've been watching the work you, you're doing in the organization Living Corporate, and, and I'm just happy to be a part of the platform, brother. Man, well, look, it's, it's an honor to have you here. You know, of course, like I see your name, um, I'm familiar. We're, we follow each other on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has just become like, oh yeah, the space, man. Like it's a spot. It's a spot. It's a spot, man. Right, and it's not even <laughs> an ad. It's just like it's like a real like. You yeah, know what I mean? Like yeah, if you're not really yeah. on there, um. So man, let's just get right into it, man. Like, why do you? Let's talk about like what it is you do, and then why you do the, what you do. All right, so I I do a bunch of stuff. <laughs> uh, as probably many people on many guests on your show would say to start off. Um, I transitioned out of a corporate career, a 20-year pharma career, for the second time last year. So I started my 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 overall career in 1998 with Pfizer, a company that you you like to talk about a lot on LinkedIn as well. Um, and so I started my corporate career in 98 as a sales rep with Pfizer, and I matriculated all the way to global general management in countries like Indonesia and Brazil. Um, along the way, two of the companies I worked for got purchased by other pharma companies. And I decided those at those moments to kind of opt out and then do my own thing in both of those instances. One happened to happen in 2010, and then 10 years later happened to happen in 2020. So kind of like very symmetrical there. Like every 10 years, it seemed like a company that I was working for was getting purchased. And I was getting an opportunity to kind of do what I really, really want to do. So Along the journey, um, I've always been very passionate about kind of putting my ideas out into the world and things that I learned as I learned them, practically trying to help other people uh, accelerate their learning curves and uh, and speed up the process of success. So I started publishing books back in, I mean, business books, leadership books back in 2019, while I was still working for large global corporations like GSK. And I published another book last year uh, while I was still working for Allergan Pharmaceuticals. And this is the first time I published a book, really when, when I'm not working for a big a big corporation this June, this past June, uh, June 25th on my birthday when I launched my most recent book. So all that being said is really what I'm passionate about is high performance coaching, executive coaching, especially for minority and BPOC uh, and female leaders who are emerging into these kind of VP level positions in these large corporations, kind of helping, helping, you know, uh, show them the help, helping them accelerate their learning curves as well. Uh, writing, publishing, um, uh, I'm passionate about technology. So I'm also launching uh, an application very soon that's going to help uh, enhance employee inclusion. So that's coming out um, very soon. Then public speaking, motivational speaking, um, all these things are kind of in the umbrella. Consulting, of course, both DEI and just high performance team leadership type consulting, organizational consulting. So that's all kind of in the umbrella of what I'm doing now. Um, my sister is an actress. We're also working on uh, creating screenplays and you know trying to get better representation in Hollywood as well through our work. So just trying to, wherever I can, kind of, I'm at that stage of my life where I just want to do what I want to do. I want to have fun while I do it. I want to make a positive impact on the world while doing it. So that's kind of where I'm at. Man, you are, uh, you cooking, man. <laughs> Listen, you know, you put the ingredients together, they, they kind of like marinate for a while. And then it's time to, it's time to put it on the pot. You know, you gotta, you gotta get on the stove and make something happen. So let's talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing around diversity, equity, inclusion, or mm -hmm. as you talk about uh, Jedi, justice, yeah. equity, diversity, inclusion. Talk to me about 
and I recognize that you didn't create the term Jedi. No, no. But let's let's talk about like first of all, what is justice in this context, and then why did you go that that bent? Right, like I I'm curious about this is in a space where um it's all folks are almost treating diversity equity inclusion like the like the new oil boom like it's kind of like a yeah. space where we can really get in and like yeah. you know you can do some workshops and get some quick money and then get out yeah. um yeah. there's plenty of space to play where it's fairly safe mm-hmm. now that often involves in my experience you know appeasing to mm. this white moderate um and the but the way that you appease to the white moderate is not by talking about things like justice so no Talk to me about this term, the idea, and why you got there. So, you know, I came, I lived overseas for eight years, from 2012 to 2020. I was in Turkey. I was in Indonesia. I was in Brazil. I moved back to the U.S. in March of 2020, right on the cusp of a global pandemic and right into the George Floyd uh, protest, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery situation, social justice protest, and, and one of the most important elections in American history. So I'm right. I come back to America at that moment. And I had just published the Servant Leaders Manifesto, like April 2019, 20. I had just published a new book. So it was not my intention to just dive right into another kind of space, but I recognized early on that it wasn't enough. Like what I'd already written was already not outdated, but it was not going far enough. It was kind of like, it gets you a middle stage, but it's not going to get to where we need to go to. And and basically what I was trying to do was I saw that the business Roundtable had published this new statement of a corporation in 2019. Um, and then I saw, I learned about Jedi, uh, First of all, through the OSC Jedi Collaborative, I just found their website and started reading about what the work that they're doing and then started getting this whole, there's a whole world of, you know, policy link and, you know, all these organizations doing all this amazing work that have been in the space for years that are finally kind of getting some shine. And I started going down a rabbit hole and I was like, well, if CEOs state that they want to create more value for more stakeholders, they want to. Uh, not only uh, chase the shareholder profit, but they also want to add value to employees, customers, communities, the environment, right? Uh, how are they going to do it? Mm-hmm. And I saw, I don't think a lot of people have made this connection, but I see Jedi as the how to accomplishing this this goal. I think that if you can do embrace Jedi principles internally in a corporation, really uh, eliminate injustices, eradicate inequities, uh, it, uh, expand diversity and enhance inclusion. You can then, if your employees feel that happening, then they will begin to add value to the other stakeholders of customer, community, the environment. And shareholders are going to be taken care of because you have a lower risk enterprise that's doing good work in the world. So it was just making a connection between this that was out here and this thing that was out here and saying these two things go together. They play together. And I want to write a book and talk about how they're connected and how you can't do one without the other. And so that was kind of the overall intention of writing the new book and how I got into the space. And I think the J is so important. So I had, I was getting, you know, talking to advisors and people that I respect and in, in the, in the, you know, global leadership space. And they were like, well, you know, Omar, do we really need the J? I mean, the J kind of turns people off and CEOs don't yeah. connect to the J. And it's, you know, can we just do the DEI? It's already known. There are people are already, I was like, no, like the J is fundamental. 
there are so many injustices that happen in corporations' walls every day that are not being right. resolved. It's not just about inequity. Inequity is one thing. And, and, and so it's an incomplete picture. If you do D, E, and I, it's an incomplete picture. The B, I think, is kind of like an, 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 an outcome of D and I, D, E, and I work. But without the J, without that justice component, without companies basically saying, we're going to do what's right, even if it's painful, internally and externally, then everything else kind of falls flat. So I think the J is the most important of all those four uh, letters in the acronym. And so I couldn't, it wasn't just because I love Star Wars. I, I couldn't do this book without going through the lens of the J of so, corporate social justice and talking about what that is and how it manifests and how that's so crucial to actually tackling the issues inherent in trying to deliver value for uh, a new group of stakeholders for the first time. So, I mean, like walk me through justice at work, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think about how many times you know, other black and brown professionals that I speak to who have been done wrong, objectively wrong, right? right? Like, you know, they've been passed over for a promotion. They've been held back. They've mm -hmm. been, um, credit has not been properly attributed to their work. Uh, credit has been stolen. Talk to me about what does justice look like to like right those wrongs or make someone whole at work. And then also what's the business imperative to do that? Right. So, you know, justice is inherently dismantling barriers that would allow people to live a full and and full and fully realized life. So anything that's happening within your corporation that is not that is a barrier to someone living a, a, a fulfilled life. I think one of the biggest injustices that happens in American corporations today is a lack of a, a lack of a standard maternity leave and paternity leave. These are injustices to future generations of, of workers. So I think that that's a basic injustice. It is unjust that uh, women in America have to make a choice between motherhood and success still in 2021. It's still a choice that people have to navigate and it leads to the inequity of the gender pay gap because women taking, if, if you're a woman who's a high flyer, takes three maternity leaves and has three children, you basically said, let's say you only you only sit out like a month each time, right? That's three months when you weren't working. Then the when the when the men were working, right? Right. Those three months will set you back if you add them. If you accumulate them over time, they set you back depending on what was happening in the corporation at that time. And then you you get passed over for promotions. You get passed up. You don't move as fast to the organization. You're not taken care of, and therefore, mm -hmm. you know your your salary separates from the salary of the men around you. And so that injustice of a lack of protection around maternity and paternity leads to the inequity of the gender pay gap. That's a simple one. That's a very simple one that we could talk about, but there's much more insidious injustices uh, that happen, which is things like people who are found or accused of sexual harassment, not being taken out of the system or known racist actors in corporations uh, getting a slap on the wrist and not getting taken out of the system or, Known discrimination policies, uh, for example, you know, uh, corporate leaders uh, purposefully creating discriminatory practices like lending at banks and things of that nature. They create these policies uh, and and then the employees making employees promote unjust practices to, to the community and to, to, to customers. That's an injustice. So we have so many injustices that have to be dealt with 
and the barriers have to be brought down so that um, employees don't feel that they're put in these positions, these, 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 um, these, you know, challenges and these challenging spaces where they, they are constantly trying to navigate their value system, their morality and, and the goals of the company. Those, those three things should not be uh, incongruent with each other inside of businesses. You know, and I think what you're, what you're speaking to though, like this constant navigation of, uh, of morals, ethics, business uh, imperatives that really kind of describes our capitalistic culture to a T, right? Like, and and playing the game, right? That's why you can't do without the J. That's why the J is so important because it's inherent inside of the system. It's, it's embedded in this, in the system of our corporations. So, so then let's, let's talk about this then, right? Like you shared earlier that, you know, people were kind of eh on the J Mm -hmm. talk to me about the conversations you've had. Yeah, so I mean, I, th- I think that I, I, I'm trying to raise awareness of the J, and I'm trying to bring examples that people can kind of connect with on the J that are just basic injustices that um, companies can tackle. And and always the, the thing that makes it easy for me to do this is looking at it through the employee lens. So if you look at it from the point of view of the employees and what is right or wrong for them, then it becomes very easy to identify a bevy of injustices that need to be uh, kind of eliminated in corporations. You know, all the wrongs that have to be righted that have not been righted historically over time. And so you begin breaking those injustices down for for people and they start saying, oh, okay, that's what you mean by, first of all, it's you have to have a shared language. What do you mean by injustice? Are you talking about, you know, because people get confused. They're like, should I be, is this about pu- corporate public statements? Is it about more than just putting the money in the right areas? Is it about what do you, and I said, listen, you're externalizing something you haven't fixed internally yet. You know, I care much far less about donations to the NAACP and HBCUs and all that stuff, which is great. It's a, these great public statements are amazing, but you, you're not going to do the internal work. You're not going to empower your DEI lead internally to actually clean stuff up. And they need to be empowered to clean stuff up. Your DEI lead is like your corporate compliance officer for the culture of your organization. So whereas compliance is about externalizing risks and things of that nature, I look at DEI as the internal culture risk assessor who comes in and says, listen, these are the, you know, they should go to their CEO and say, this map of injustices and equities are business risks. These are the risks we're facing, the likelihood of these risks, the impact of them happening. And if we don't address this right now, we are, we are not going to be in business, you know, five, 10 years from now, or our license to operate is going to be severely uh, diminished. And when you start talking about the J through the lens of corporate business risk, people start, they perk, oh, okay, now I get what you're talking about. Now I understand why this is a priority. You're not talking about, you know, socialism or, you know, left wing, whatever. You're you're talking about business risk. And we have to manage business risk. That's what we get. We get paid the big bucks to manage business risk. And it's, these are social business risks internally that we have to deal with. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I do believe that again. I'm like I'm I'm really focused on this on this J word, right? Because yeah, and we've talked about it a few different times. We've had uh, Brittany Janae Harris from the Winners Group, as well as Mary Frances Winners, who's the CEO and founder of the Winners Group, talk about this concept of justice, and we've had other folks talk about organizational justice. I think I think the reason why, in my experience, folks kind of balk at the concept of justice um, at work is like they they associated with someone getting fired right 
Like right. talk to talk to me about how you've had to address any of those insecurities. I, I address it head on. Yes, people have to get fired. Yes, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you if someone was guilty of fraud in your organization, would you leave let leave them on board or would you fire them? You would fire them. Absolutely. This is, they this gotta is go. So, this is social fraud. Mm. This is social fraud. It's the same thing. It's not we're overcomplicating something that's very, very easy. Mm. If you do wrong, you cannot, you lose your license to operate. You lose your ability to lead in our organization. And the problem is, is the privilege that comes inherent with climbing the corporate ladder. So the higher up you go, mm. the higher, the harder it is to get rid of you, right? It's sort of like mm. you become more insidious to the organization. I've seen, I've seen senior leaders with terrible track records on justice and equity um, basically get buried or basically get, you know, moved around once they're, once they're, they can't, they can't hide their damage anymore, or explain it away, but they don't get fired. They get, they get shifted because they're too, they're too mm-hmm. big. To, they're too big to fail. I guess they're too important to the organization, or maybe they know where the bodies are buried. You can't get rid of them. And that is just, when you look up and you see people who are known toxic players, not getting dealt with, it does two things in a corporation. It gives mm-hmm. me permission to do the same thing. And it it disengages me because it says, okay, uh, there is whatever the company says on the mass head or in the value statement. In practice, that is not that's not real. And so if if what you're if you're big, you know, the millions of dollars you spent to build your corporate purpose statement, working with McKinsey or whoever it was, if you don't police that, then all of your employees are going to check out because they're going to be like, they see, they see the disconnect. It's obvious. So why mm-hmm. would I bring my whole self to work when you're, 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 you know, most of your intention is trying to protect these 10 or 15 people at the top, you know, because they know where the bodies are buried or whatever it is, you know, it's just, it, it leads to rampant disengagement, which is what we're seeing now. People are just checking out of work. They're like, listen, you know, this is for the birds because, you know, we've heard the lip service for too long. We don't see congruency. And we're out. You know, especially if you think about like this, what they call they're terming, they're coining as uh, the great resignation. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, like there, yeah. there is this moment, this, this moment in time where folks are just, they're fed up, right? And some of this has to do, a lot of this has to do with, um, you know, folks just, I, I hope, I hope, maybe, you know, and maybe my eyes are too, maybe I'm too optimistic, but my hope is that folks are really starting to see like this capitalistic exploit a machine for what it is and all of its exploitative mm. function. Mm. Um, and that, you know, they're realizing like life is short and we got to just right. be around. Um, I'm curious, like, as you think about Jedi, you think about, um, you think about work and, and creating this space uh, that is just, that is better overall for everybody, including those on the margins where where does uh like gen z come into that like how do you anticipate that they will impact accelerate or slow down this season or this idea around um a just equitable diverse and inclusive place to work well i think they they want it i think they 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 live in a world that is i mean in their world they they don't live in a world that you know our parents grew up in right they live in a world where basically, you know, you're connected with everyone else in the world. Like for the first time in history, you know, when you get your first Facebook account at the age of 10 or whatever it is, like you're connected to the world. And this has never existed in the history of, of the world, having that level of access to 
all these different races, nationalities, issues, things that are happening. This this global awareness. So the social media is leading to not just the hottest new TikTok dances, but global awareness. You know, but I think I think if you look at a TikTok dance is very emblematic of what I think about Gen Z. You see a group of Korean teenagers doing a dance one day on TikTok, and you see a group of Brazilians doing it the next, Americans the next, Canadians the next, Europeans the next. Uh, the influence of people's perceptions around what is cool and what should be done is much faster now than ever before. And when and when mm-hmm. and when people are done wrong, it also goes around much faster. I think the CEOs haven't woke up to the fact that the 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 instantaneous news cycle about toxicity in businesses is moving at the speed of light right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you think you you think the game hasn't changed. You're in your, your your shady dark boardroom doing your whatever machinations and Machiavellian things. Everyone knows what's happening. They know. Right. You know, these Gen Zs, they know what's happening. They talk to each other. They they have a they have a connecting point that that's never existed before. So mm. so I, I think their tolerance for the nonsense is far lower than 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 the rest of us. I also think that the information around how you can make an income without having to go work for a corporation or even go to or even go to college and get sat out with bank loans is so there's so much more information out there now but people have are making very different choices about their lives than we were making you know right now if you're 17 you're like you know I have a 14 year old nephew and he's like he has he, he could basically his big thing is Formula One racing but like video game racing right mm-hmm. he could become a professional digital Formula One racer, go pro at the age of 18 and be making $100,000 a year working for I did a virtual racing club without having to go to college, Zach. Right. No, and I think, so that, that's for me, and that's for me, like, I don't know, I don't know if legacy executives or folks at these big, big institutions really re- realize that the world is way flatter than it used to be. Like the gatekeepers are changing. The gatekeepers are no longer like people. Um, they're really algorithms, right? They're they're yeah. they're making sure if you get seen or not. But I don't need this individual to get to my goal. Okay, they don't want to help me. Okay, I'll go. I'll figure it out this way. You don't want to give me. A, I can go. I can go do this. I can go do that. Right. And so, and then on top of that, yeah, I also think I agree with you that the tolerance for the nonsense is just way lower. Like I know for me, right. So I'm a millennial. I'm 31 years old and my tolerance is pretty low, right? Like I will, I'll, I'll move around, but my siblings who are teenagers and er, like uh, teenagers and a couple, and one of them is 21. The other one is 19. um, Their tolerance is like non-existent compared. Like they, (laughs) they don't care. They, yeah. Oh what? Okay, I'm done. I, I don't. I'll, I'll do something else. I'm like, yeah, like you're not even gonna, you know. They, and I, this, it's not. It's not a critique. It's just like, wow, like you're not even going to like, you know, deal with some nonsense for a little while just to see. No, like it's over. They live in a world of opportunities. Act. They live in a world. The world is their oyster. Like they. I mean, you, you know, you got you got twelve year olds um, are becoming millionaires on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. Like. It's a different world. Like, you know, so so education and corporations have to fundamentally shift their value proposition to get people to opt in. It's not like you have to go this way anymore. Like it's not the it's not the path you have to take anymore to 
eke out a life. Like if somebody wants to make 75 to 100K, there's a lot of ways to make 75 to 100K in the world today, more than ever before now. You can make you can make $75,000. Oh, know, yeah. If that's your goal, you can make it. And you don't have to deal with a lot of nonsense um, to do so. And so that's the that I don't think corporations understand who they're actually competing with. They're, you know, in, in university, I don't think they, I don't think they really understand that they're they're competing with an entire new lifestyle uh, change and a new paradigm and how and 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 if you don't give me purpose, I will give purpose to myself. That's it right there. And I, I, I do. That is a fundamental change is that. That last part is so true, man. So look, let's do this, though. Before we before I let you go, you have a book. It's available now on Amazon. It's called Be a Jedi Leader, Not a Boss. Let's talk about I know we've been talking about Jedi. Let's talk about why this book. Why now? Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what is it that folks are going to learn and pick up if they pick if they go and get this book right now? So my intention and my hope for readers who pick up the book, first of all, is that once again with all of my books, you see that there's a different path for leadership. You don't have to you don't have to opt into the toxic boss hierarchical way of leading organizations and that. And so first of all, to say there's 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 other opportunities for how you choose to lead. Now, if you choose to lead with a servant leadership mindset, you choose to serve and support others as your reason for leading. That comes with a cost. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. You can't just be a great people leader and take care of your people and be blind to what's happening in terms of their real lives. So they're, you know, the injustices they face, the inequities they confront, uh, the, 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 the how the diversity is either valued or not, and the level of inclusion they, 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 they experience. So you have to kind of now begin to lean into these spaces and begin tackling these issues. When you begin doing that, you begin going from servant leadership to Jedi leadership. So you begin to actually move there. And why should you move there? Well, you should move there because the purpose, you know, basically purpose can be bigger than even just serving and support other people. You can then begin to add value through your corporate posts to customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. So if you care about these things, you care about the fact that many communities have been left behind by businesses. If you care about the fact that the environment is being damaged uh, uh, every, I mean, you know, there's a thing called Earth Overshoot Day, which is basically the day every year when the Earth exhausts its natural resources. Do you know when Earth Overshoot Day was in 2021, Zach? When? March. It already happened. Last year it was August. This year it was March. So we are consuming, we're going past the point of no return every year faster than ever before. So, you know, if you care about the environment, if you care about these things, you have to embrace Jedi leadership principles, do the internal work. This is not about right or left. It's not about any political agenda. It's about the reason why we work. The reason why we go to work for corporations is because there is a bigger purpose behind what we're doing. We're not just making widgets anymore. We're not on the assembly line, you know, doing this. We're trying to solve real societal problems. And business is the place where these types of problems can be tackled more easily than any other form today. And so that's really um, one premise behind the book. The other premise is, okay, so then how do we how do we do it? So, and what are the externalities we can expect once we make the journey from where we are through servant leadership to Jedi leadership. Um, 
and 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 how do we really begin to tackle these higher order uh, uh, issues inherent in stakeholder capitalism? So I think it's you know for me the book is it's ahead of its time. It's, I mean basically I think probably two three years from now this will be kind of a a a a, a natural thing people are thinking. But I wanted to write the book now aspirationally for people who are looking for the next thing, um, looking to keep pushing the envelope, keep pushing the status quo then if you see yourself as being on the cutting edge of leadership, this is the most cutting edge leadership book written um, in recent times. Man, look, Omar, it's been uh, a pleasure to have you. You know, I know that we've been, we were, um, <laughs> this is on me too, trying to find time. I'm so glad we were able to finally get you on, yes, sir. on, the, sh- on the show. And uh, shout out to you and all your work. The book is called Be a Jedi, J-E-D-I, Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Leader not a boss is available right now on Amazon. Make sure you check it out. Omar, man, we can see your friend of the show. Hope to have you back soon, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, brother. Take care. Have a good one. All right. Peace. Living Corporate is brought to you by the Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network, hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert, Neil Edwards, The leadership range is focused on having real, raw, soulful, and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out the leadership range everywhere you listen to podcasts. Y'all want to thank Omar again. Shout out to Omar Harris. Shout out to the book make sure y'all click the link in the show notes and uh listen make sure that you're like observing your surroundings right look around if the space that you inhabit right now isn't really welcoming or celebrating all of who you are seek another space i promise you there's a better space out there for you shout out to all the initiatives all of the programs all of the organizations that are seeking to make true systemic change and not just all this like tap dance stuff. In fact, it's interesting, right? Like you see these organizations, it's funny. It's really, really, and when I say funny, I'm like not funny, haha, more like funny, like I see the game y'all playing. It's interesting, right? Like there are groups out there that were like really loud about diversity, equity, inclusion, right when George Floyd died. And now like they're pivoting, like you see a certain rebrand happening around some of these organizations, right? So they, they took the bag for what it was, right? I tweeted a couple weeks ago, that this season of um, exploiting DEI for the bag is going to come to an end. And I didn't mean that in some way that like we're going to come to some big retribution or there's going to be some great reckoning. That's not what I meant. I'm just saying you can peep the tea leaves. You can look at the scenery and see that the folks who saw this for like the little run that it was, they've pumped it and now they've dumped it. Right. So what I'm saying is like the what's going to be left over these next the rest of this decade, my hope is that it's going to be about the authentic work and frankly, calling out the the fugaziness of those organizations and institutions. I'm excited about where we're at. I'm excited about this space. I'm excited about this work. Shout out to everyone doing that work. I would get a bunch of shout outs off, but just at this point, we've interviewed like, I don't know, hundreds of people. Like, I feel like I'm going to miss somebody, but y'all know who y'all are. Much love to y'all. And uh, listen, if you haven't already, Make sure you get Living Corporate Five Stars on Apple Podcasts. Now, look, I can look at the download data and then look at our podcast ratings, and I can tell we ain't 
everybody ain't giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts, right? We got several, 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 several thousand. <laughs> I, we have a lot of folks who listen to Living Corporate. I need y'all to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And you might be like, Zach, why are you always asking to give, us, give you five stars on Apple Podcasts? The reason why is because the more stars we get, the better placement we get on these like little charts and stuff. You know what I mean? The more people learn about Living Corporate. You know, and the better, the more that we can grow, right? The better for us, right? That's the best way, right? Like, if you don't want to even like drop some money in the Stripe or the PayPal or the Cash App, you know what I mean? Give us five stars. Like, that literally would make my day, all right? Until next time, y'all, it's been Zach. You've been listening to Living Corporate. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.